Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Blake Tomars, the SEC columnist for the USA Today Sports Network. His podcast is SEC Football Unfiltered. It's available each and every week. Download, like, subscribe, get it wherever you get your podcasts, on Twitter, on X, at BTopMeyer. Blake, does Alabama already have buyer's remorse with Kalen DeBoer? Uh, I don't think they should. I think um, I understand the sky's falling ceiling in, in Tuscaloosa and throughout Alabama as, as talented players hit the portal. But to me, this is more the reality of college football in, in the year of our Lord 2024, right? Um, I mean, I think I, I do think there's a huge part of like they're they're finding out how the other half lives. That's exactly it, and they're also finding out what happens amid coaching transitions yeah. uh, in the portal age. Alabama hasn't had a coaching transition period uh, for 17 years, and, and certainly haven't had one in the portal age. Like whether a coach leaves due to retirement, leaves for another job, leaves because he's fired, it doesn't matter. There's there's always going to be uh, you know a, a streamline of players toward the portal, and, and Alabama's no exception. It's like I wrote this week, like. Alabama is finding out that just like everybody else in college football, it puts on its pants one leg at a time uh, while the portal tries to strip it naked. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things. Number one, you know, it, it is a testament to how much stability that they have had and, and, you know, how quickly they forget. This was, you know, before Nick got there, it was a wildly unstable program. I mean, coaches were staying, what, three years? You know, Francione stayed two Price was there for uh, he's he got caught in your neck of the woods. Um, uh, let's see, so he was there for three months. Then they hired Mike Shula. Shula, I think was so Saban got there in 07. I think Shula was there four years. They had the uh, before Francione. They had Dubose yeah. was three, and then Stallings had to leave because of NCAA stuff. I mean, like they had. They had turmoil, and I think what I think what they what they have enjoyed, unlike anyone else, is just so much stability. Yeah, I think it was since Stallings, no coach. Uh, as you were running down there, I think it's no coach had been in Alabama for more than four seasons between Stallings and and Saban. And um, yeah, I mean even even before the coaching carousels and the coaching turnover, you know, reached a crescendo like it's at now, still. Um, you know, Alabama was enjoying uncommon um, stability with with Saban. But this is it, what makes this really hard for fans to digest. Is like fans fall in love with a team; they they feel a sense of loyalty. You know, maybe they went to college in a place, or maybe they're from there, or maybe they just grew up rooting for a team, right? But this sure. is a reminder 
that that the real loyalty in college sports resides in the stands and not on the sideline or on the field. And I'm not saying that you know players never have any love for their university. I think they that some players do have that to varying degrees. Some players feel a loyalty to a particular school to varying degrees. But now more than ever, college football is a business. These are business decisions. Um, and you know, athletes are like people in the real world. You leave jobs for uh, two key reasons. One, your boss changes and you're left working for management you didn't sign up for. Yep. Uh, or, or two, you're offered more money to work for somebody else. And, and yeah, there's other factors that come into play, but those are two of the key reasons why people leave jobs. And we're seeing that, that those are two of the key reasons why college football players leave teams. Either your boss changes, being your coach, um, and or you're offered more money to go work for somebody else. It's, you know, college sports has long, uh, I think, been sort of this fantasy that was different than the real world. That's changed in the last few years. I mean, the, the cat's out of the bag now. Uh, college football mirrors the real world, and these guys are making decisions like we would we would make as business people. Yeah, and I think maybe there's a third a third reason you'd take another job is hey, I want to go work for that person. And mm-hmm. to me, like that's the that is the big question that I have, and I don't know if we'll get a clear answer. But a fundamental question that I have about the Alabama job is how much were like what were was Alabama getting a discount on players because they wanted to go play for Saban? And it's like, okay, maybe I'm not taking as much right now, but if I go play for him, it's going to help my draft stock. I'm making a long-term decision, and you know, Saban clearly has some magic. And yeah, to me, like that's a legitimate question. There is that that narrative out there where, where Alabama players taking a discount to play for Saban. There, there probably is some truth to that. I think probably more to the point is like some guys were probably taking a discount and some guys weren't Um, like there's, there's limits to being able to win every bidding war. And I'm not sure how much Alabama uh, really cared to try to win bidding wars with Saban because they felt like they didn't have to. I think in some instances, guys were probably, you know, getting more of the top end of their, their market value at Alabama and other instances, they probably were taking a discount. Um, But to your point, like, Guys who were taking a discount before, uh, you could tell yourself, well, uh, that discount is getting me Saban. That discount is getting me um, an unmatched track record uh, of sending guys not only to the NFL, but to early round draft status in in the NFL, right? And so, um, you know, Saban's whole pitch since NIL and the transfer portal came around was, building value for yourself and what he was talking about is building nfl type value for yourself so um you know maybe you're taking dimes on the quarter uh in the in the short term but you're getting that back tenfold in the long term when you become you know the next first round draft pick from alabama and that was a great sales pitch for nick saban because he had 17 years worth of of track record to be able to point to. And, and now they don't have that, but you know, I still think in the long run, the cooler heads are going to prevail, prevail here. And, and this thing can work, but like Kalen DeBoer has got to have some sort of runway uh, of grace and asking for that at Alabama uh, maybe just seems irrational. But, But the flip side of this is like, the other shoe hasn't dropped yet, right? Like the portal is closed to new entries right. almost everywhere 
except where's it not closed? Washington. <laughs> now, I know there's not the same caliber of player leaving Washington as leaving Alabama right now, but like if you look at some of the top guys available in the portal right now, it's guys who's, who have hopped in from Washington. We, we've seen coaches do that, bring some of their best remaining talent from the previous school along with them. I, I do think, you know, in the next couple months, Kalen DeBoer can land some punches back uh, in this portal business. You're not going to replace Caleb Downs. Um, and I don't know if you're going to replace uh, Isaiah Bond, but I, I do think, you know, the, the rest of the story is, is still kind of yet to be told. Yeah, so Tyler Siski, who hosts a, a show with my old boss, he worked for uh, Nick. He's, he worked all around the SEC. He, he wrote this. Since the Rose Bowl, Alabama's lost 23 total scholarship players. That's three five-stars, 12 four-stars, eight three-stars. The average star ranking of guys leaving so far is 3.78. That would rank sixth amongst classes signed in 2024. They lost more five-stars than any college team signed in 2024. He said he didn't go back and look at the bonus points that Rivals uses, but their class that they've lost would equal the number two overall recruiting class in 2024. And, like, all that stuff is jarring to read and jarring to hear out loud. I think, though, my reaction when I hear that, though, is how much of this, though, is a problem versus how much of this is just something we haven't seen in Alabama because Nick has been there. You know what I mean? Yeah, and we did see this to an extent at Alabama. Like, guys like Isaiah Bond and Caleb Downs weren't transferring while, while Saban was there. But Alabama, even with Saban, was certainly not immune to losing guys to, to transfer, like guys that, um, you know, were maybe fringe starters or if they would have stuck around for another year, um, you know, could have stepped into a starting role, guys that would have developed and, and become starters later in their career in the earlier days of Saban Dynasty. Saw, Sauce Gardner, uh, Jerome Ford, remember, they, the, it was like half of Cincinnati's uh, playoff team. Yeah, they were already the types of guys who were transferring even with Saban. So that's, that's the part of this. Um, that's kind of left out too, is that this is an entirely new phenomena for Alabama. It's not. They were, they were dealing with the transfer situation the past three years anyway. It's just guys like Caleb Downs weren't in the mix. Like your, your bona fide stars were not transferring from Alabama. Guys off the two deep, though, they were transferring from Alabama. They, they, they took some blows in the portal, and, and some guys – uh, became starters at other SEC schools uh, that they would that they would uh, later go up against. Who is the uh, the, the linebacker uh, Drew Sanders? Yeah, he he, he started at at uh, Alabama and, and transferred to Arkansas and, and was a very nice player for Arkansas. So you know it's not it's not that they weren't losing anybody before, and it's not that the guys they were losing before were were total bums that couldn't have helped them. They they could have helped Bama, and they did help other programs. It's just the the new development is losing guys like Isaiah Bond and, and Caleb Downs. Those are the types of players uh, that they're losing because Saban's gone and because there's, there's a coaching transition. Something that you've written about this week, if you're Kalen aboard, what's the proper way to use Nick Saban? Yeah, I think it's going to be tough. I don't buy for a second DeBoer's line uh, that he offered on, on Saturday of, quote, 100% access to the program for Nick Saban. I mean, that's the type of thing you say at an introductory press conference. I think you feel like you have to, but sure. there better not there better not be 100% access to Nick Saban or, or anybody else lurking in the shadows, right? Um, I, I think finding a balance and finding some boundaries 
uh, is something that both these guys are going to have to be mindful of, not just DeBoer, but also Saban. Um, and that's one reason why I like this hire, uh, not just because of what DeBoer's accomplished. Uh, I think that's important. But, you know, you've got a guy who's 49 years old who, by all accounts, seems very comfortable in his own skin, um, seems like a guy who doesn't get too high, too low, um, doesn't seem to question himself. Like, I, I think a different coach could kind of crawl too deep inside their own brain and, and overthink this or, or, or worry, worry about Saban looking over their shoulder all the time. I don't think DeBoer, I don't get the sense that he's going to do that. And I don't think he, he should do that. Um, I, I think it's going to be hard to succeed in the job if you're calling up Nick Saban um, every moment. But I think the biggest way DeBoer can use him is not so much from X's and O's or ideas on third down blitz packages, but you know Saban had the alignment at Alabama in such lockstep for years. And that's not just university alignment, but the alignment with the boosters. Like yep. everybody knew they fell in line behind Nick Saban. Um, and now they got this outsider, this new guy, whom some people are probably still learning how to pronounce his name. Uh, and I think that could be difficult in this transition period to maintain that really impressive alignment that I think a lot of other programs in the SEC have envied for years. And I think that's where Saban can help DeBoer the most, is if he's really working behind the scenes to help maintain that alignment, uh, not that he's the head of the pyramid now, but to make sure everybody knows that DeBoer's got this, he's the head of the pyramid, and that's who you you know, you know owe your allegiance to. Um, and and if, you know, if Saban's throwing his support behind that idea to, to kind of the brass, the chief donors, the fan base, um, everybody involved, your, your NIL um, collective, your people who are making contributions large and small, I think that's what can be most valuable to DeBoer rather than, like I said, I, ideas on who should be starting at, at Nickelback. Including Texas and Oklahoma. Where do you think the Alabama job ranks right now? That's a great question. Uh, I've thought about that, and it's it's hard to say because, um, you know, I think if you look at where it's been, you'd say it's one of the top three or four jobs in the sport. But I think um, re- replacing Saban has to be factored in. Yeah, here, I mean, right? there, that's I mean, like, I don't know what the Saban multiplier is, but I know it is exactly. a multiplier. Yeah. And, and so I think I would probably put it in the four to six range of jobs. Six might be too low, um, but I, I would go some order of Georgia, LSU, Texas, probably in my top three. Um, I still think Oklahoma is a great job. I know life's going to be different for them, maybe a little bit in the SEC, but boy, that's a, that's a program that's had a lot of coaches come through there and had success. Like it's, it's not like Florida where two guys have ever won at Florida and and that's it. Uh, I mean, you know, Oklahoma's had a lot of guys do it. So is Alabama, but you know, we're talking about coming in on the heels of Saban, that multiplier. Um, So yeah, I think, I think I would put Georgia, LSU, Texas, definitely above Bama. And I think I might even put, I want to be the guy who replaces Brent Venables at Oklahoma, yeah. whenever that day comes, uh, I, I want to be that guy. So I think I, I would probably put that one on the list. So I might be slotting Bama number five right now, which feels a little bit harsh. But again, I, I don't, I don't know that you want to. Well, I know you don't probably want to be the guy to to replace Saban, and I think that has to be factored in right now in this moment with Alabama. Yeah, I go back and forth because if you look at it at LSU. 
the two guys that follow Saban both win national championships, one of which is a certified moron. The other's probably a moron. And so, Preach. like, <laughs> yeah. I, I do wonder, like, when everyone's like, you never want to be the guy that's like, well, yeah, I don't want to be the guy that follows Spurrier at Florida, and I don't want to be the guy that follows Urban Meyer. But at the same time, like, I look at, even even if you go back to Michigan State, Michigan State had some success after Saban got there. You know what I mean? Like, John L. Smith had some success. Like, I do wonder if, I do wonder if following Saban maybe is a better proposition than your instincts say, which is you never want to follow the guy. But at the same time, the struggle that I have is I think Saban masked really how quickly the Alabama job fell in the pecking order from what conventional wisdom would say. And the problem is it's not, it's not that reasonable people can't understand it, but your fan base doesn't ever understand it. I think so, and um, I also think like Georgia being the monster that is right now, um, that also affects the way I look at the Bama job a little bit. Like I, I feel like you're a little further removed from Georgia at Texas or LSU. Yeah, I agree. Um, you're, you're not necessarily swimming in their waters all the time. If you're if you're Alabama, you're going to be swimming in Georgia's waters all the time, um, and and Saban could could win those recruiting battles, right? Like, I mean, for a while. And, and I would even like, argue Georgia swims in your waters now more than it, ever. Yeah, it, yeah, that, that's true. Um, you know, I mean, Saban could go toe-to-toe with Kirby and, and vice versa. They were the two best recruiters in the sport. But I, I think I want, as long as Kirby's got that thing humming, uh, yeah, I, I want a little bit more separation uh, if I can, can find it at a marquee job elsewhere. So, yeah, I would rather be at LSU or, or Texas. Alabama is still – Obviously, a great job. I think, again, I, I go back to probably somewhere in that four to six range right now, and I think I'd probably slot at four or five. Well, I think another complicating factor for me is how long does this universe last where it is literally free agency, open market, whoever's got the biggest budget? I mean, we're literally like, you know, it's Major League Baseball. It's Major League mm-hmm. Baseball without contracts. You know what I mean? With free agency every single year. But if you come, if if you enter into a world in which there's going to be, you know, shared revenue, so then you start to have contracts and you start to have, you know, a salary cap. Well, now all of a sudden, I think Alabama, like if if you're going to start putting restrictions in, I think the Alabama job becomes better. But there's just no way of knowing, like, how long this universe lasts. Is there even a world where we can actually structure? you know, a a legitimate, you know, like a a legitimate sanctions. I think that's kind of the other thing that makes it so difficult in pegging where Alabama is. Yeah, it's interesting. Like two years ago, I think if you would ask coaches, you know, what the number one factor is when they're considering jobs, like a year or two ago, a lot of coaches would have said the strength of their NIL collective. Um, you know, a couple of years from now, that that may be a totally moot point, the this, this strength of someone's third-party NIL collective. However, I do think it's always mattered in, in college sports uh, how much money yep. is, is flowing in. And, and it's like, you know, you see these schools with the strong NIL collectives, with few exceptions. Like, they're not schools that were paupers before and all of a sudden are swimming in cash. Like, you know, some of the schools with the best NIL collectives are schools that were pretty flush with cash before. And there's been a little rearranging of of the pecking order, but it's not a total overhaul. So, like, I think 
I think coaching at a school that's got money, whether that's in the collective's pocket, whether that's in, you know, your, your athletic department revenue, uh, or, or, or all of the above, like coaching at a school with money will always be better than coaching at a school without money. Um, I think coaching at a school, uh, where you have a fertile recruiting base, within four hours of campus always will be better than the alternative to that. Right. And yeah. so in the end, it's, it's always going to be access to players like that. That's right. still going to hold true no matter what. Right. And so I think, you know, those things won't change. The The thing that could change is, yeah, worrying about where your NIL collective ranks on the pecking order. I, I think I mean, Lane Kiffin, didn't he, didn't he almost like go there on ranking each school's NIL collectives at SEC Media Days he, last he, summer? I think someone had to give him a glare. I think he was starting it, and then someone had to give him a glare. I don't know if it was Kyle Campbell. I don't know if it was maybe like maybe the the angel on his shoulder. But yes, he he one hundred percent was about to start ranking it. Yeah, and and that was which would have been for the was- record would have been awesome. Yeah, it would have been awesome. Uh, but, yeah, that's the type of thing that I don't know matters in a few years. But, again, money is always going to matter, and, and it's just kind of a real reallocation of, of, the, of the funds. All right, before we let you go, speaking of, of new things that new, – new, implica- new rules to implement, is Greg Sankey going to have to outlaw horns down next year? I hope not. I mean, what's next then? Are we outlawing the gator chomp? So I was uh, thinking it, it, about this. Didn't they, didn't they put in a rule? You could gator chomp. An opponent could gator chomp, but not at a gator. So, like, if you scored a touchdown, you right. looked at their student section, you could gator chomp. But I do believe it was a penalty if you went up to a Florida player and gator chomped in their face. That was the closest thing I could think of. Yeah, although it's not a penalty if you're a Gator and Gator Correct, in someone's, in someone's face. face, yes. It's totally a fair game, yes. <laughs> yeah, as Tim Tebow famously did yes. in that national championship game, I believe it was. Or maybe it was against Florida State. or, or He did it so many times, I can't remember. I would say, but. it feels like he did it against Kentucky, so you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, so, well, I do think that's a key distinction, right? Like, if you're running right up to Quinn Ewer's face and flashing a, a horn down, yeah, that should probably, in in all fairness, be an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty, right? Like, should I, I it? think that fits fits the definition of the term. But just like running around and policing the the uh, the celebratory gestures that players make, uh, in general, I, I think the SEC feels like it's above that, or, or maybe rephrasing it, they feel like policing that kind of stuff is beneath them. You know, this is this is the conference where it just means more, and I think taunting falls into into that equation, right? Even the taunting in this conference does mean more. What has never been clear to me, and I've asked Texas fans, and I never get a legitimate answer, I don't understand why that offends them so much. Like, it is literally like calling them a racial slur, and it is no one has ever given me a satisfactory answer. Like, why, why on earth? Because, like, to a certain degree, like, when Rodney Terry's freaking out, I didn't get the sense that Rodney Terry was offended. I got the sense that Rodney Terry took knew he took a bad loss, and he knows that the people that will keep him in charge got offended, and so he had to, like, go over the top. But I've never understood why that is so offensive to them. 
I haven't figured it out either. I've had that same thought sometimes. It's like it's it's not like they're taking the the Lone Star flag and right. turning it yeah, at the exactly. yard line. <laughs> like that, that I could understand why you'd be offended. I mean, Texas thinks it's its own nation. If you burn their flag on the fifty, yeah, I think I'd be mildly offended by that. But horns down. I mean, yeah, maybe may, maybe there's something we're missing here. But I, I think we we obviously have to dive pretty stinking deep to figure out why, because I think many among us have tried to figure out what is it about this horns down that they find so offensive. And I don't think there's really anything there. I think that for whatever reason, they feel like they deserve some extra dose of respect and, and they shouldn't be taunted just like every other team is, you know, I, I don't, we haven't heard that outcry from Gators fans to the, to the same extent when someone does the Gator chomp, like, I mean, I think it riles them up a little bit. They get annoyed. It gets under their skin. That's the whole point of taunting, right? But there's not like, uh, you know, you've insulted someone's entire existence uh, if you're doing a, a gator chomp in the face of a, of a Florida fan. I do think that is one of the more interesting aspects of them coming into the league. For so long, they got to run the league, big, the Big 12, the way they wanted to. Like, how, what is their reaction going to be when the first time they, they think they're going to propose something, it's going to go through, you know, blanket through, and the, the, the SEC's like, no, no, we're not going to do that. Yeah, I think so, too, and I think there are a lot of athletics administrators who wonder the same, right? Like, I mean, yeah. I think among fans and media types, like, we all know Texas' reputation, but that's a, that's a feeling shared even in the administrator community. I was uh, – I was talking to Mike Alden last summer. He was the longtime AD at Missouri. And I asked him, you know, what he thought about his former Big 12 peers following Missouri's path of going from the Big 12 to the, the SEC. And, and he went on at length about how he thinks Oklahoma and the SEC are going to be a, a great marriage. Yeah. Uh, and then when it got to Texas, he basically said, uh, yeah, they're going to have to learn things are done a little bit differently around the SEC. Uh, and I think that's a feeling shared by many, many people. And like I said, it's not just people in the stands. It's, it's uh, people in athletic departments, too. I said last thing, I, but now that triggered one more. So I was going to ask you about this. Ross Bjork, I covered him at Ole Miss, and he now gets the Ohio State job. I was trying to think of this. Can you think of some other figure in sports where the fan perception of someone is so opposed to – the professional perception of someone because Ross continues just to get bigger and bigger jobs and every fan base that's ever, you know, dealt with him doesn't understand how. Yeah. He keeps falling forward and, and he's tangibly made some bad moves yeah. uh, as, as an AD. I mean, it's not just like sometimes fans irrationally get upset with their AD, but like this is, this is tangible missteps that, that Bjork's done. Uh, that that are, don't look great. Now, on the other hand, he's done some things I think behind the scenes um, that make him a you know a good idea of a different sort. I think fundraising that aspect of it certainly at, at Texas A and M, you know, he helps them continue to be even more of a giant there. But the person that comes to mind um, is when John Curry was run out of town. Yeah, that's uh, a good one. Tennessee. The fans almost unanimously were done with Curry. They they thought he was a stooge. Um, inside his community, though, his peers, uh, people that knew him as an AD, almost almost to a T, everyone thought John Curry was a very good AD who got a bad deal at Tennessee, and he wasn't out of work for long. Um, you know, I know it was, I believe it's his alma mater, but still, 
Uh, Wake Forest was lined up to, to scoop him up. And, uh, you know, Wake Forest is not an athletics giant, but I think just kind of viewing things from afar, I, I think John Curry's done a pretty good job uh, at Wake Forest. So I think in this case, that was one where the industry was probably right. Uh, Curry tried to make a foolish hire of Greg Schiano. I'm not sure. I question whether that was, was Curry's choice. Yeah. I think a lot of people question whether that was his choice, but he, he became the fall guy in the aftermath of that. And, and yeah, fans uh, thought he was a stooge and his peers did not share that opinion. All right, buddy. I really appreciate it. Have a good weekend. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Listen to every MLB game live. The deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is gone. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.